hearts. Would you prepare us to, to receive what you have for each of us today? Lord, we love you. We just invite you into everything we will do this morning. May it glorify you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, church family. Raise hearts and minds to the Lord. Warm our voices up to him. Practice his presence as we sing, as we proclaim his holiness. Sing holy, holy, holy. again.
children in your presence pouring out your praises. So we know that you are the way, the truth, and the life. We're going to start with the chorus on this one. It goes like this if you're unfamiliar with the song. In the way, in the truth, in the life that I believe you are the way, in the truth. sound beautiful this morning. Through every battle, Lord, we gather and we lay it at your feet. Lord, I ask that you are here with those of us that are exhausted this morning, those of us that are downtrodden, that are feeling weak or sick. Lord, be with us. If we're at home in our living room, I ask that you bring a sense of peace, a sense of your presence, your sovereignty, lay it heavy on us. We offer you everything this morning. Through every bad, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, and I believe that you are my fortress. Yeah. You are my portion. You are my hiding place. Sing it again. Through every battle, through every battle, every heartbreak, through every circumstance, that I believe that you are my fortress, you are my portion, you are my hiding place, oh I believe you are that are new 
my fears and doubts. Well, they can all come to because they can't stay long when I'm here with you. It's a new horizon, and I'm set on you. You'll meet me here today with mercies that are new. All my fears and doubts, well, they can all come to because they can't stay long when I believe that you are the way and the truth and the life. But I believe that you are the way and the truth and the life. But I believe you are. Set on you, and you meet me today with mercies that are new. All my fears and doubts, well, they can all come to because they can't stay long when I believe you are the way and the truth in the just a couple of announcements this morning. First, a celebration. Yesterday, we had about 21 people outside joining us for membership class, and it was awesome. So we're so excited for those new members, those who were looking to say, yes, I want to be part of what is going on here as we go into the future together. So thank you for all who made the time yesterday. We will be doing a Zoom membership class in October for those who couldn't make it or want to do it in that uh, format. So look for that. It'll be sometime in October when we do that again, but it'll be a Zoom way of performing membership. The second announcement is this next Sunday, right after this service, we'll be doing something we've titled Engage. And it's a Bible study. In a sense, it's a study of the sermon that we just experienced together. And whether you're joining us online or you go to the first service and head home and join us with Zoom, we will be doing that to process and reflect on what we learned that day in the message. In a sense, it's a, it's a small group opportunity to say, Let, let's d- dig into that and, and step into that and, and walk through it together to understand it a little more fully. So I've always thought that such a meaningful way to learn is to hear and then process together. So. Join us for Engage starting this coming Sunday, October 4th. I thought as we walk into today's message and this uh, series we're doing, I I might just share a little bit about identity as a devotion today. 
And the easiest way for me to do that is to share some personal experience with my own struggle to find identity. And for many years, I, I built my identity on the things of this world, whether it be my position at work, whether it be where I lived, whether it be the group I was part of. I, I remember in high school, Mike and I share this, I was part of the swim team. And that was a huge part of my identity. When I came to school in the morning, I sat with the swimmers. And that was how we were known, as we kind of had our own table. And it's a funny part of life, but, but we often form our identity with, with the things of this world. At, at work, I pursued, you know, growing in my positions. I was a human resource associate, and then I so desperately wanted to become a human resource manager. And so I would pursue that. But it's interesting. Those aren't evil things. They're not wrong things. But if you're, we're honest, they're, they're never truly satisfying. That they, they always leave us longing. And for me, my thought was, well, maybe it's the next promotion. Maybe it's the next thing. And, and that's where I'll find my identity and I'll find my peace. But if you know, and we've all been there, that doesn't work either, does it? For a time, that next promotion, that next group that we join uh, brings some form of satisfaction, some contentment, some element of identity, but it leaves us still yearning. I believe that God places it in our heart, a, a hunger for a true identity. And the strange thing is, as because we're fallen, we pursue fulfilling that in so many goofy ways. And Satan loves to fuel that, right? Our culture loves to fuel that, right? We, we, we think about the culture saying, if, if you get this car, that will magnify who you are it, if you live in this place if you buy this ring or or, or wear this makeup oh, then you'll you'll be just the person you've always longed to be and you will find contentment and satan loves to stir this up in us because he knows if he can keep us pursuing the things of this world we will always be frustrated and we'll always be desperate in searching for more. Well, I want to share with you from John's gospel because God has a different place for us to find our identity. It's our true identity. It's an unchanging identity. And it's independent of our actions and the groups we affiliate with on this earth. John 1 verse 12 says, Yet to all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Folks, if you've given your life to Christ, this is your true identity. You are now a child of God. And there's nothing that can take that from you. The Bible reminds us that when we give our lives to Jesus, we are now children of God. 
And if you're here today, I just want to encourage you, don't get distracted trying to find your identity in those other pursuits. They'll always leave you hungry for more. But let us come back to that true reality and true foundation that we are now children of God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, forgive us when we chase after identity in the things of this earth. Whether it be a, a affiliation or, or our job. Lord, let us not get distracted. Let us not define our identity through what the culture says. Lord, help us remain and find our identity as children of God. Thank you that through Christ, you have brought us into your family. May this be our true identity. We love you, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chad. We're going to sing one more song called Christ Be Magnified. We start with the chorus. It goes like this. Singing, oh, Christ be magnified. Just let his praise rise. Christ be magnified in me. Singing all, Christ be magnified in the altar of my life. Christ be magnified in me. If you feel led, by all means, stand with me and sing. We're all creation. Suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry from north to south and east to west. We hear Christ be magnified for the whole earth. Were the whole earth echoing his eminence, his name would burst from sea and sky. Would be long for that day. With rivers to the mountain tops, we did Christ be magnified. Singing Christ. Christ be magnified. 
Christ be magnified from the altar of my life. Oh, Christ be magnified. May we reflect your glory in every circumstance. Now we lay it all down before you. I won't bow. Oh, I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. If it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I won't be formed by feelings. I hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, you can't hang me there with you. Cause death is just a doorway into resurrection life. If I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you in you rise. And when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, oh my heart will still be singing. And my song will be the same. We're singing, oh, Christ be magnified. Just let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. We're singing, oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life. Christ be in me we sing it all Christ be magnified as Lord Just let his praise arise Christ be magnified in me we sing it all Christ be magnified from the altar of my life Christ be magnified in me Father, be glorified, be magnified, be lifted high and made holy as we worship you with our voices, with the air in our lungs and with our minds. Lord, renew them as we sing and renew them as we receive your word through Pastor Mike this morning. Lord, we ask for your hand, a blessing upon this service and on him as he preaches to us. Lord, we love you and we sing in the name of Jesus, all God's people say, amen. Sound beautiful this morning, church. There we go. You know, these microphones work better when they're not on mute. So as I said, uh, my name is Mike Lotzer. We're starting a sermon series called Identity Issues. And we're looking at the Gospel of John for a few weeks. We're going to look at different encounters that Jesus has with different people. And they are people like you and me who have identity questions. Where do I fit? And who am I really? I'm not a sports person. But uh, I plan on watching the Vikings game. And, uh, you know, I was thinking as I was watching the news last night, talking about the Vikings. Do you remember 
a decade or so ago when Brett Favre played for the Vikings and how weird that was to see Favre on the Vikings jersey. It felt like he had an identity issue all of a sudden. And then, you know, I'm not really a basketball fan, but I saw in the news that LeBron is now a Laker. When did that happen? That, I think that's been a few years now, but, but that looks strange to me. And then, of course, Tom Brady will be a Buccaneer playing today. I think they're playing the Vikings. And, and it seems weird to me because Tom Brady is forever a New England Patriot. And, and maybe that is a, a good... Um, introduction f to help us think about the different jerseys that we wear in our lives. Think back when you were maybe in junior high or middle school, for some of us that, that's a longer time ago than others. Um, maybe high school, maybe you're in, in those grades now. Do you remember, maybe even elementary school, one of the first times you did something well and, and your soul kind of welled up with, with a healthy pride feeling like this might be it. Maybe I've defined who I am because I'm good at this. Maybe it was an athletic competition or a spelling bee. Or For me, it was, I was good at drawing, and I noticed that kids noticed that, and they would ask me to draw them pictures. And, you know, you know, whatever it is for you, it's very likely you're not doing that now. I'm not a famous artist, for example. Uh, I draw with my kids occasionally. Uh, many of us who, who first felt that surge of identity, I'm a good athlete, we didn't quite make it to the pros. And so it seems that throughout our lives, we're constantly wondering, who am I? Where do I fit? What is my value? What is my identity? That's what we'll be talking about. If you want to follow along in your Bible or smartphone, we'll be in John chapter 3. Jesus is just in the early part of his earthly ministry, his three years of public ministry, and he had just had kind of a run-in with the religious leaders, and he said to them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. He was talking about his own body, forecasting his resurrection. So he's got them all riled up. And then it says a ton of people are putting their trust in his teaching, in this, this young rabbi's teaching. And then he meets a man named Nicodemus who comes to him, comes to him secretly. We're picking it up at verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. I'll read from the NIV. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? This is God's word. If you're taking notes, the first thing I think the text highlights uh, 
at least one way to say it would be this. We are all hardwired to define our identity. You are, I am, your parents were, your kids are, your friends at work are, everybody you know, even little kids, were hardwired to define our identity. And never more in our cultural moment has it been more clear than right now, right? We're all talking about identity and identity politics and how do you define yourself and how do you identify yourself. Nicodemus was no different, though he was born many, many, many centuries before us. Here, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the cover of darkness to do what? To clarify his status. You see, uh, for a Jew like Nicodemus, you were born into your identity. You were a, a son of Abraham, a child of God, because you were ethnically born as a Jew. And people could look at you and tell that you were a certain race, you were Jewish. And then on top of that, if you looked deeply into the study of Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and you went to synagogue, and you did the appropriate ritual, religious sacrifices, and you, you participated in the religion of Judaism, and you were well-respected, that was really a wonderful place to be. You could derive quite an identity to be proud of, indeed. And that was Nicodemus. If you, if you pay attention to the first part of our text here, Nicodemus was a, a man of the Pharisees, a member of the Jewish ruling council. So, so anyone who would have read that in the ancient context would have said, okay, so he's a religious guy. He believes the right things. Pharisees were elite rabbis, basically, so very educated theologically, but he's not just a religious guy who believes the right stuff. He's also kind of a businessman, a practical person, somebody who understands ways and means. He, he's a member of the ruling council, and so he has the respect of the religious community and also all the people who are just very versed in knowing how to get stuff done. A perfect blend here, uh, and with that would have come status and honor and a great deal of success. And yet, you see in Nicodemus almost just insecurity, don't you? He comes to Jesus in private, and it's as if he's saying, I know on paper I'm a child of God. I know that that should be enough for me. I know I'm Jewish. I know I can derive my identity from my race and my accomplishments. But... Am I really a child of God? It's almost like we're, we're getting a glimpse into a very successful Jewish leader who's admitting to Jesus, I see in you something I really want. When I look at you, I see something's deeply missing in me. Am I really a child of God? Now, we do the same thing that Nicodemus does. One of the errors of modernity is to look back on previous generations and judge them as if they were all foolish and were all enlightened and wise, right? But if you actually are an intellectually honest historian and you look at previous generations and cultures, you, you see just the human tendencies abound and it, it's humbling and you realize we're not so enlightened. Nicodemus is asking a question that we ask because we do this through our race, through our gender, through our sexual orientation, through our wealth or lack of wealth, through our achievements or lack of achievements, through our group affiliation, even through our victim group affiliation. We do this. And yet, when we do this, 
it seems like there's something missing. If you're taking notes, the second point I'd like us to consider is this. Not only are we hardwired to define our identity, we do that. Once defined, most of us long for a higher identity, and I might even say all of us. What do I mean by that? I think you know what I mean. Remember when you got that promotion at work and it kind of went to your head? And then you messed up at work. Then it went right to your heart. And you realize your identity was completely based on your work. And your conclusion was, I just have to climb higher on the ladder. I just have to do more. I just have to uh, be a better athlete. You know, all conference felt good for 10 minutes, and then it needed to be all state. And then I saw that person with a letter jacket, and it said, all American. And I thought, if only. And then I got that. And then, you know, you'd have to go pro, and you'd have to make the Olympic trials. And if you make the Olympic trials and you go to the Olympics, you win the medal, but it's a bronze medal, and nobody likes bronze medals. I mean, th so then you work harder, and you get the gold medal, but then you look at Michael Phelps, and you say, how many gold medals do you have? That's insane. And then you look at Michael Phelps, and you say, he doesn't seem quite happy. He has the same expression that I imagine Nicodemus has. I thought this identity of success of this people group of this victim status, of this gender, of this achievement would satisfy, and it did for a bit, but then it didn't. The book of Ecclesiastes is basically a whole case study on this, where the wisest person next to Jesus, Solomon, says, you know, I've pursued all kinds of identities, and I've gotten them, and as soon as I get them, it feels like I'm chasing the wind. It just goes right out of my hands. Nicodemus, it seems like, longs for more, than honor. He wants an identity that is even stronger than one built on success because he's had that. And he has a group identity and what a group identity it is. It's the very small people group that God strategically chooses in his wisdom and sovereignty and says, I'm going to use this people group to show the entire universe and all of human history what I'm like. And he's a leader in that. And he's respected in that, and yet here he is at 10, 30, 11 at night at Jesus' door saying, could we talk? I wonder if some of us listening online or in person might identify with Nicodemus and wonder if, if we're not in the same boat. We, we're not really willing to admit that we're with Jesus, and we're certainly not yet willing to commit to following Jesus fully, but in Jesus, in his words, in his deeds, in who he is, we see something we're desperately missing. And, and deep, deep down, we want to have a conversation with him, as long as it's safe, as long as it's private. It's like we're saying what Nicodemus is saying. Am I really a child of God? Because if I was, I wonder if that would finally satisfy, if I could rest in that identity. Because everything else I've tried it just hasn't worked. You know, Tom Brady's an interesting person to mention. There's a famous quote, you can Google Tom Brady, is this all there is? And there's a famous quote from a number of years ago. I think he had two or three Super Bowl rings. And I've mentioned this quote before, but it, it is fascinating. He's dating a supermodel. He's got a few Super Bowl rings. He has a, a, a statue erected at uh, 
the football stadium in, uh, for the New England Patriots, and, and every Sunday people gather and literally yell his name and chant and worship the guy. I mean, you're good at your job, but nobody's putting a statue up to you and gathering in the thousands and screaming your name, the best accountant! You know, I mean, nobody does that, right? But that's what's happening for him, and he's just looking down in a real interview saying, I just kind of thought when I'd get one more ring and all this, I thought there'd be more to it. But I guess this is all there is. Jim Carrey also has a quote I've mentioned in sermons before, he, something to the effect of, I wish everybody could be rich and famous and have all their dreams come true, have more money than they could ever spend, more people who want to be with them that they could ever spend time with, to realize just how miserable that is. Wow. That's kind of dark, Jim Carrey. What if once you define your identity, whatever that is, whether it's a group identity or an individual achievement identity or a victim group identity, whatever it is, you and I find ourselves at the end of the day when we put our head on the pillow longing for a higher identity. I think that is true. When I came off active duty in the military, I really struggled. I didn't even know I had put my identity in wearing that uniform and seeing the rank and being respected and saluted and all of that until I, I went to work without the uniform and just wearing normal civilian clothes and I felt this deep sense of insecurity. And I also at the same time felt, felt this weird sense that okay, that chapter's gone, so now I just have to build a stronger identity on the civilian side. But the problem with that is when we seek a higher identity, it, it's never enough, right? It's never enough. I mean, you might push your identity on beauty. And maybe you're striking. You're really a beautiful person. And people tell you it all the time. Time is coming for you. Eventually, you're going to be reminded how fading outer beauty is. Or maybe it's intelligence. And you are so sharp. And your mind is so fast. And you can just run circles and debates. And people wonder at your intellect and time is coming for you. And what happens when you meet someone who's three times as fast? Maybe for you, it is work. And you, you do a good job at your job. And you take pride in that. But there is this stabbing insecurity that comes when you meet someone who's just a little bit better than you. And then when you retire one day, you look at your phone and you wonder in amazement, why are they not calling? Why aren't they asking my opinion? How can they run the company without me? Nicodemus longed for more than honor, more than success, more than group identity. They're not bad things. The definition of idolatry is not completely a bad thing. It's a good thing that we put, make an ultimate thing, a good thing that we make a God thing. Last week, if you didn't have the opportunity to listen to our uh, unique innovative uh, version of a, a sermon. We had Pastor Scotty Holloway, an African-American pastor from Mississippi, and Pastor John Borde, a missionary to Southeast Asia, on the stage, and they talked about racism and the gospel and how to live and navigate injustice and, and how the cross is the level playing field for all racism. And Scotty said something profound, something provocative for our day and age. He said, I may be an African-American, and I may have experienced some racism in my life, he said, but I am first and foremost a follower of Jesus. The fact that I'm an African-American or that I have been victimized is completely secondary 
Though I've been victimized, I am not a victim. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. We are hardwired to define our identity. This is why kids want the approval of their parents, as if they're saying, praise me, tell me who I am, tell me why I matter, tell me what I'm good at. And once we tell them what they're good at and praise them and they feel that surge of joy, once they define their identity, it will be momentarily satisfactory. Eventually, and sometimes very quickly, that will need to shift and that will need to grow and that will need to compete with others. Once defined, we will long for a higher identity. And thirdly, the text we have read, I believe, suggests a very powerful truth. Nothing less than a heavenly identity will ultimately satisfy. Nothing less than a heavenly, not a higher, a heavenly identity. Did you notice the part where Jesus and Nicodemus kind of get sideways right at the beginning where, where he says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. Well, it's interesting to note that Jesus anticipates the question. Actually, Nicodemus doesn't even get to his question. It's like Jesus knows exactly what, what he's wondering. Am I really a child of God? I know I am on paper. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And then Nicodemus said, how can you be born again? Do I have to go back in my mother's womb? I don't remember the first one. I certainly don't want to remember the second one. That sounds terrible. Maybe he had a minor in biology. I don't know. Part of the reason that there is a miscommunication there, the New Testament is written in common or Koine Greek. The Greek word for again has two very specific meanings. One is a second time, as in again, repeated. The other is from above. And there's plenty of words in English that have two very specific meanings, and you just have to figure out the context of the speaker. And so Jesus is actually saying, and many of your translations will say that, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born from above. Now, it's very difficult to translate in English because if you just say born from above, you don't understand that there is confusion going on. So the English translators translate it in the way that Nicodemus is, is perceiving it. And so Nicodemus is saying, okay, you said a word that means two things. Surely you mean the more common one, which is a second time. I have to be born a second time? How does that work? And then Jesus goes on to this whole bit about the wind and Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. And you have to be born of water and the spirit. And some commentators think that when Jesus says the water and the spirit, he's actually forecasting the water that will come out of him when he's pierced in his side in the crucifixion. It's as if Jesus is saying in code, you have to be born by the labor pains of the cross. That will be your full inclusion into the kingdom of God. And not just that, that pays the way, but you have to receive the very spirit of God born from above. You have to let the spirit of God enter into you voluntarily and start redirecting your life. You need to just let go of your white knuckled grip on all your other identities. Hold them very loosely and say, I may be white, I may be a veteran, I may be a pastor, I may be a father, I may be a son, I may be a husband, I may be 
the oldest member of the millennial generation, all that is nothing really compared to my primary identity. I'm born from above. The Spirit has come into my life. Not because I deserve it, because I'm open to it. Because Jesus, my Savior, went through the birth pains of the cross. He lived a life I can't live. He died the death that sin results in. And through the cross, I am welcomed into a resurrection life. So this misunderstanding about being born again versus being born from above, it's understandable that all the preachers that, that read this, not seeing Greek uh, nuance there, would say, oh, like born again. And now we have a phrase, are you a born again Christian? We should fix that and say, are you a born from above Christian? Now, it works metaphorically because the Apostle Paul in his writings all the time says, you know, there was my old life and my new life, so it makes sense. They're born the first time and then born the second time. It's not that it's wrong. You can use that metaphorically, but we miss something here. Nicodemus was missing something. You see, Nicodemus was so wrapped up in identity is obvious. It's, it's face value. When you look at me, you see a Jewish person. When you look at them, you see an African-American person. When you look at that person, you see a female, and you see a male, and you see a Republican and a Democrat in their voting patterns. And he said, no, it's more like the wind, Nicodemus. You don't see the wind, but you feel it. And it actually takes a while to figure out where the wind is blowing. And people who are born from above have these tendencies, they're spirit-guided. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, which is wind or breath. And so Jesus is kind of playing off that, and he's playing off imagery from the book of Genesis of the creation story and the, the spirit hovering over the waters. And he's saying, if you're born from above, the very creative spirit of God has infused you, and, and the family resemblance won't be as obvious as you're Jewish or you're white or you're Latino. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be different. You're going to look deeply at someone, and you're going to have to study them a bit. And over time, you're going to say, ah, I see a deep sacrificial love in, in her. I see a courageous humility in him. I see an other-centered love in that person. It's like the wind. When you golf and you're on a par, par three, if you're a golfer, and there's a big wind, even when you feel it, professional golfers will pick the heads off grass, just take a little bit of grass, and they'll throw it up in the air because they want to see the nuance of where it's going because it will affect the trajectory of the ball. Why? Because wind is not obvious on first glance, but it's undeniably there. And Jesus said, if you're in my kingdom, if you're born from above, your life will be like that. It won't be obvious immediately to everybody. The family resemblance, though, will come out eventually. This is why, by the way, the church is the most diverse organization in human history. Because we don't define ourselves by a tribal group, by a race. We are living in an interesting cultural moment where it seems that we're increasingly splitting off into little identity subgroups. And those who are victims of injustice are almost competing for different victimhood rights. Like, my, I've been more victimized than you. No, I have been. No, me. No, my group. Jesus says that this is not a new trend in human history. 
Nicodemus, a man who came after hours to talk to him about his own insecurities, whether or not he was actually a son of God, a child of God, reminds us that this tendency is as old as the ancient Near East. Jesus explains that heavenly identity doesn't come from achievement, doesn't come from religious report cards. It doesn't come from the family we're born into. It comes from above. Next week, we will look at the second part of this. That's where we get into John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in his son will not perish, but will have eternal life. And then verse 17, Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. For now, my prayer is this. In an age of identity conflict, identity politics, identity confusion, may we who follow Jesus Christ rest not in a higher identity, but in a heavenly one. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you that you call us your son and your daughter not because of anything we have done to deserve that title, but because you have died for us and you love us. And that invitation for a heavenly identity is extended to every human being that's ever lived. If there is anybody who is contemplating that, would your spirit enter into them? If they are willing, would they find that they have been born from above, born into a new life, a life not dependent on competition and comparison and defining who we are by what we can do or what we can't do, a life wrapped up in you, our Father, our King, our Savior, our friend. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together in response to the Word of God. As a church, declare that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ. My hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust in sweetest phrase. But holy trust in Jesus' name. Listen that again. My hope is built.
you started the move you 